You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome back to another Hunter Profile podcast today. Today we're going to be talking with Anthony Santon from Ontario, Canada about a buck that he harvested in 2014. I must say I'm kind of a sucker for big eight pointers with a lot of mass and he shot one of those bucks. Um, so this hunter profile podcast is it's another one of those things where I really like doing the gear podcasts where I talk about you know, either product reviews or I talk uh, to a company about a, a product, but I, I also just really love bullshitting with the average Joes uh, about their most memorable hunting moments. Uh, it's just like two buddies talking about deer hunting, and uh, I definitely love that. Um, let's see what's new in my world. Um, some of that, some of that stuff you guys already caught on the podcast earlier this week, so I won't go too deep into it. But uh, this upcoming weekend, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. If I'm going to go down to my main farm yet, or if I'm going to stay up here and uh, run around uh, closer to the house to make the wife happy um, before I leave for like 16 days straight. Uh, I God bless her heart. She hates me. I know she hates me. Uh, when this time of year comes, uh, because bow hunting honestly is a very selfish activity, especially if, you know, I'm leaving my wife with two crazy kids and, uh, I can see how it would get frustrating very quick, but she's a trooper. Um, I owe her more than she'll ever know. Uh, so Sarah, I know you don't listen to this, but thank you. And I love you. And that's a good, you know, that's a good point. Buy your wife some flowers. Take her out to dinner. Tell her thank you, if, especially if you have kids or a girlfriend or, you know, if you've been married 50 years and you disappear for two weeks, which probably after 50 years of marriage, your your wife uh, either hunts with you or is probably glad you're out of the house for, <laughs> for that amount of time. But, uh, you know. Somebody's got to take care of the house when you're gone, and uh, my wife does that, and I really appreciate that. And that's not to say that there's uh, women out there who don't hunt um, and uh, you know join their husbands or hunt by themselves, because I know a couple instances of that too. But uh, 
you know, for me, thank you to my wife for taking care of the kids while I go out and I'm basically uh, absent for most of the weekends in October. And I am also uh, gone for two plus weeks out of the year, uh, especially this month, but that's not counting the summer, you know, scouting trail cameras, uh, tree stands and all that stuff where I'm, I make a couple trips down to the main farm where I'm gone. So that's important to, uh, let those people who, uh, who you're leaving know that uh, you really appreciate for, you know, appreciate them for giving you the spare time. Oh boy. I tell you what, this, this weekend, I, you know, I just had this gigantic, 30 pound 300 pounder uh show up on trail cameras and you can see a picture of him on the nine finger chronicles facebook page i think he's going to go somewhere around 300 now his rack probably in the 130s but if a gigantic bodied buck uh, he screams mature his body is easily mature um four-year-old if not older five-year-old he's blind in one eye he's a true warrior and uh, i would be absolutely happy tickled pink to uh get a crack at that buck this year. Um, not only would I get a ton of meat in the freezer, but I would be dropping a, a true mature buck. And, you know, although the big bucks or excuse me, the big racks are fun. You know, I, I don't necessarily judge my hit list on antler size. I, at this point in my life, I'm going after age class. And for me, that's a four year old or old, older and uh, just enjoying the experience. And if uh, a doe presents the opportunity, I'm going to try to uh, take her as well. So uh, who knows what will happen this weekend. If the wind for me jumping into a couple of my good spots probably isn't there, but that first week in November, there's going to be some crazy southeast winds, which I very rarely get. And I'm going to take a couple big jumps into some the backside of some bedding areas that typically don't see a uh, wind like that. And uh, it's going to be hard to access, but I feel I may have an encounter um, with some, some deer that, uh, that the other people who hunt the property aren't going to be able to, they're not going to work that hard to get back there. That's a simple fact. And if I can outwork them, hopefully I can uh, get a crack at uh, one of these, true American these true oh just like I I have a blank space on my wall where I just stare and I look and I I I try to visualize that buck there and how much hard work I have to do in order to make that happen and focus for uh you know making making a good shot but uh now I'm rambling and I don't want to ramble uh before we get into this hunter podcast with Anthony let's hear from Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras about why they started Exodus trail cameras. Uh, you know, the biggest thing I believe that got us to this point is just frustration, not being happy with the products that were out there on the market, wanting to see better options on the market, looking around at all the, all the hype and the buzz and the endorsements that go on in this industry and wanting to see products, at least in the trail camera side of things that we could get into Um, that were built solid, that were backed with great customer service, and that would last longer than two or three years was was really the biggest thing for us. All right, guys, I know it's only October, uh, early November here, but it's time to start thinking about Christmas gifts. 
uh, an Exodus trail camera would make a perfect Christmas gift, especially for you. So let the wife or the mom or the mother-in-law or the dad know uh, that you want to, uh, an Exodus trail camera, perfect gift. Uh, you can get a lot of use out of it. It's a quality piece of equipment. Uh, and when you do, or, you know, tell, tell whoever's going to buy it for you that there's a discount code and that discount code is nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive $20 off of your purchase. Now let's get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Anthony Santon of Ontario, Canada. All right, on the phone with me right now, all the way from Ontario, Canada, is Anthony Stanton. Is that correct? Stanton. Hey, San- Stanton. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm I'm horrible with names. Uh, <laughs> I, and there's days I feel like I can barely read. So yeah. th- there's no that. So Stanton, Anthony Stanton from Ontario, That's Canada. Great. How are you doing today? Very good, sir. How are you? Oh. Just like me and you talked a little bit before uh, we started recording, man. It's uh, it's hunting season, so it's not like it's bad, right? No, exactly, exactly. So so far, uh, and the 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 buck that we're going to talk about today is from 2014. But how did you do? How did you do in 2015? 2015, I pretty much dedicated my season to one buck in in particular, and. Uh, didn't go as planned, so all the eggs in one basket, and it didn't work out. But uh, good news is he made it through the season. I got uh, enough pictures of him through January, February, March. Uh, April was the last picture I got of him, and now he's shown back up again in October. So oh, nice. it's game on again. So it's uh, four years history following this guy from a two-year-old. So I know he's six and a half years old this year. It would be very, very sweet to put him down this year. What are we talking about for antlers? Um, this year, it's looking, he's going by his pictures and videos, which I have hundreds of them. Um, last year, going into this year, he didn't change a whole lot. He may have gotten a little bit wider, but as uh, a rough estimate, he's in between 155, 160 type here. Uh, clean 10-pointer, mainframe 10. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, good luck, man. Do you have any, uh, you got any strategy you're going to put together for this buck or is it just kind of, uh, bounce around until you find him? Uh, well, this guy, it's, it's, he's been showing up on my home property. Actually. Uh, my wife and I, we bought a property with 25 acres where we live and we're surrounded by a lot of big bush and a lot of agriculture. And this has been pretty much part of his core area. Um, part of it in the fall summertime, he disappears, but he's always back in the fall. And we've got about two acres of uh, food plots that we put in every year. And this year I went a little bit further and did some uh, timber work, timber improvements. And uh, one of the trails he's been using every year and rubbing down it, I kind of opened that up, made it a little bit easier for them to walk. And I planted a little bit of an interior food plot in there to give them even more of a reason to travel that route there. So, so far it's working. I'm getting his pictures and videos on it and, uh, not in the daylight yet, but it's going to yeah. come sooner or later. Cool. Well, man, I hope it works out. Now, I just got a trail camera picture of what I think is a 300-pound deer. Is <laughs> you know, everybody, you know, whenever you're watching the TV shows up in Canada, you're you're looking at, you know, these giant big-bodied deer are is it easy for a deer up in your neck of the woods to get to 300 or 
Is that kind it, of pushing the limits? No, it's not uncommon. Um, like certain areas, uh, not far from here where I shot my buck in 2014, we've never taken a deer out of there that was even close to 250. But then this neck of the woods where I'm at, uh, where my house is, the does get over 200 pounds sometimes. Like it's just, oh, wow. it varies from area to area, but it's not unheard of around here. You know, I've never shot uh, a 200 pound doe, but in 2000, <laughs> in 2012, I shot a 300, what I feel was a 300 pound buck. He was mm-hmm. like 275 after we gutted him. So, mm-hmm. um, he was a, a really big body deer. It took, it took me and another guy. Oh man, we had to go down a ravine and up a ravine and it took us like three hours to go, uh, under a hundred yards for a drag. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I tell you what, it was, uh, it was nuts, but it was, uh, it was worth it. Um, so yeah, hoping, a little bit of exaggeration on the 200 pound doe, but I got to I'll send you a picture of a doe that my wife harvested here off of this property. Um, and it, everyone that saw it thought it was a buck that had shed his antlers. The body on it was that big. Oh, wow. Just big deer. Yeah, man. I tell you what, there's something about a big body deer that gets me ex- just as excited as a giant racks. Definitely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this buck that you shot in 2014, mm-hmm. but kind of before we get into the story of this buck and, and a little bit of the strategy, why don't you walk us through the type of property that this buck was harvested on? Talk about, you know, the mixture between timber and ag or, you know, the layout, hilly, the terrain features and all that stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, that area there is mainly ag. Um, the bush really consists of small bush lots. They're all hardwood bush lots for the most part. And, uh, the specific property where I took him, there is a bit of a valley. So there's some topography that comes into play there, but for the most part, the area is really flat. Um, like I said, a lot of egg, a lot of corn, a lot of soybean, and then your maple hardwood bush lots, uh, whereas that's where I actually put the arrow in him was in a little bush lot that he had a lot of rubs and scrapes all over the place in there. He had it torn up pretty good. I only got his picture twice that year in that bush lot, but he was leaving fine everywhere. And um, he had a real, when he made a rub, he had a real, deep gouge he would leave on the trees so it was kind of easy to tell what trees were his that he hit nice. and um caught up with him november 1st that night um i was actually facing i was in a stand on the edge of the bush lot but facing the inside of the bush lot with a big uh alfalfa field behind me about a 200 acre field and it was i'd say no more than 10 minutes left of legal light and I decided now, to stand I'm gonna, up. I'm going to yeah. interrupt you real quick. We don't want the yeah. money shot. We don't want the money okay. shot quite yet. You know, right. We got to have a little bit of foreplay before we get into it, or this podcast could be like 10 minutes long. We want right, right. <laughs> to drag it out just a little bit longer. Yeah, getting too excited here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Um, but, you know, as far as, as, far as the property uh, is concerned and in that area, you mentioned it, it was, it, it's really flat, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Minus a little bit of topography for where you were hunting this buck. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, cause I've never hunted in a scenario where it, everything is flat, like map flat. How do you right. hunt? How do you hunt flat ground? Um, it, it can get, 
it can get uh, a little bit frustrating sometimes trying to pinpoint uh, a specific piece of the property that the deer are using. Right. Um, but it, it'll come down to sometimes something as simple as an open gate on a farm fence row that the farmer just doesn't close. He leaves that gate open all year and it becomes just a highway for the deer. Every deer in the neighborhood knows about it and they all pass through it at one point or another. Um, sometimes it's something like that. Um, other times, the the bush lot where I took that buck in 2014 was an L-shaped bush lot. So the inside corner is pretty good as a of good as a funnel as you're going to find in that type of an area sometimes. Okay. So what about crick systems? Uh, my uncle hunts in southeastern Kansas, mm-hmm. and it's pretty it's pretty flat down there. But wherever there's a crick. Mm-hmm. The banks are like 10 foot straight down and then 10 foot straight up on the other side. There's not a lot of gradual, um, there's not a lot of gradual, you know, decline for these cricks. It's real steep. Uh, do you right. guys have a lot of crick systems up there? And if so, are the banks really steep? We do. Um, as for the properties that I've hunted, I've only had one, one property with a real deep um, river bank or uh, creek bank on the side of it. And, uh, it was, there was one, one spot that the deer picked to cross and every deer in there used that same spot. And that was just a, a dynamite spot to hunt every November. Right. Um, the other properties that I hunt that have water running through them, they're not really, nothing to really define where the deer cross, but definitely if there's some, uh, deep banks, it, it does come into play. Definitely. Nice. Nice. So, are there any other, other than like an open gate or maybe a bend in a creek or, um, is there any other, uh, obstacles or, um, things that, you know, maybe affect deer movement? They'll avoid something or they'll go to it or they just follow a, you know, again, I, I go back to Kansas and, uh, a lot of fence rows and mm-hmm. a lot of creek systems. And then other than that, there's no trees. So, What's, uh, I mean, is there a lot of trees there? Is there a lot of ag? What's the story on that? Uh, that specific property where I took that buck in 2014, that's a lot of fence rows. We have a few stands to take advantage of the fence rows. They love traveling those. Um, other properties we hunt that have big bush, we look for more of a, a natural clearing in the forest where they got a little variety of different native browse, uh, stuff like that, uh, become magnets to the deer because it's just, acres and acres of continuous bush just all the same but anywhere you get a change in uh in different types of trees different types of grass wherever there's that change that just seems to be a magnet for the deer there's always tons of deer sign wherever you find those uh inconsistencies in the bush so that's what we tend to look for here gotcha now what are the you mentioned a little bit about the brows. Do you guys got oaks up there, um, or are they focusing on egg? What are they eating? Uh, we do have uh, quite a bit of oak trees and acorns that they feed on, but uh, for the most part, we focus on the egg fields for their, that seems to be their big draw for their evening food sources. Um, some of the properties we hunt do have oaks, some don't, so it's kind of hit and miss. Apple trees are another big one here. Um Areas where we got apple orchards, obviously they got more apples than they need, so it's not such a draw, but more uh, wilderness areas where apple trees are a little more sparse, they become a pretty good draw for the deer, so we tend to 
look for that type of stuff as well. And, um, oh, got a brain fart there. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, other than that, I mean, on the property that this buck was harvested on, did you put any food plot work in? Uh, that specific property, no. Um, no. Okay. It's just an uh, alfalfa field that the deer feed in all summer. And uh, to the south of there, there was a winter wheat field that year, and that was about it there. Okay. What about uh, livestock? I have a couple properties mm-hmm. that uh, have cattle and horses mm-hmm. on them. Um, yeah. And I feel that there are times when the, when the livestock like affects deer movement are you definitely is there, any, is there any livestock up there yeah actually it's funny you mentioned that uh one of the bucks that i'm after this fall um the bush where i'm where i've been getting his pictures and uh finding all his sign it's a big it's a big cedar swamp and then it transitions to a maple hardwood bush up on top and the one side of the maple bush it's all cattle pasture and it's there's a couple hundred head of cattle in there and the deer avoid it. Uh, they won't. They don't seem to walk through there very often at all. And the opposite side of the bush is uh, just a wild field of goldenrod, and then it goes into standing corn, which I'm sure they're going to be taking that off any day now. But um, yeah, I, I like the cattle pasture just for that reason that it's basically a deerless area, so you got a good safe approach route for getting in and out of your stand. Which is nuts, right? So this is what I've seen on my property. Deer and cattle don't seem to get along too well. But I have witnessed deer walking directly through uh, horses. And horses don't seem to bother, you know, mind them. And they don't seem to mind the horses. So I don't know why that is. If someone could tell me, I'd appreciate it. But (laughs) uh, but, uh, I found the same thing, yeah. All right, so. Now let's go back to 2013 when you first had some encounters with this deer. Um, how First off, how long have you been hunting this property? That property there I've been hunting, uh, it's about 12, 12 or 13 years it would be this season. Okay. Uh, and how, how, how are the deer numbers on that property? How are the, the quality of bucks on that property? Um, the numbers, they've fluctuated, uh, since I've been hunting there, uh, they were really good. Then we had a few years where they were down a bit and they're, they're on the rise now. They're steadily bouncing back. Um, as for quality wise, the genetics in the area are outstanding. We've seen some real monsters in that area. Um, actually some of the biggest bucks we've ever gotten on cameras have been in that property there. Okay. So genetic wise, it's very good. So you've been hunting it twelve years now. You know, you kind of know the the pattern. You're you've educated yourself on this property. You know where the signs at. You know where the bedding areas are at. Um, you know, have there been any big changes like uh, logging that have come through that property, or a major change that maybe you had to relearn different sections of that property? There's been a couple of houses that have been built since we started hunting it. And it kind of destroyed one of their main bedding areas. Um, this big custom home went in and they tore out a big chunk of the bedding area to make basically a park behind their house. So that kind of changed things. And for the most part, uh, the majority of the deer actually bed across the street. It's just a, a gravel road there. They, a lot of the deer bed across the street 
which is owned by the same farmer, uh, fortunately. And um, so we still get the deer traveling. They use the creek to travel back and forth. Uh, the does, for the most part, seem to bed on the original piece of property. It's uh, maple hardwood bush, but there's a lot of undergrowth, and the does just all pile in there, it seems like. And the bucks that we see tend to come from the other property across the road there. They, it's a big, big cedar swamp surrounded by hardwood, and it just seems to be a buck factory every year. They just come out of there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. Now, for this buck, uh, you said you had your first encounter with him in 2013. Did you catch mm-hmm. him on trail cameras in the summertime? When, when did you first start paying attention to this deer? I got his picture first. It was uh, early October in 2013, and he looked like a decent three-year-old. He wasn't nothing like too nothing too crazy, but he was tall. He had nice tall G2s, and he looked like he could be something good the following year. So, kind of kept note that he was in the area, and didn't get any pictures of him after the season. So we didn't know because we have a, a gun season that goes on the first week of November there, and basically every little woodlot gets pushed by guys in that area. So you don't know which box is going to make it through that. And, uh, weren't sure about him and didn't get his picture again until the following October, all summer. I didn't see him. And, um, like I said, I saw him once, uh, through binoculars in the hayfield. And other than that, I really didn't know if he was still around or not until 2014 rolled around uh, October that year. Got another so- picture of him. Describe what he looked like in 2013. Um, he basically looked like a, just a smaller version of what he did in 2014. The biggest difference is uh, G1s. They really blew up in, in 2014. Like they were maybe maybe two inches in 13. So he, he grew decent G1s the next year. And his G3s kind of switched. The one on the left was bigger the year before. And then they kind of flip-flopped the year after. But right. otherwise, a little more mass, a little bit more length everywhere. Okay. So yeah. he's an eight-pointer. He was an eight-pointer uh, in 2013, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just roughly on a, on a guess here, what, did, what do you think he scored as a three-year-old in 2013? As a three-year-old, I would say he was – probably mid 120 type deer. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so mid 120s as an 8, you know, a 3-year-old 8, not too bad. Um <laughs> and so you had an encounter with or you saw him in a field uh while you're hunting that year in October, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. But no other encounters with him until October of 2014, right? Correct. Okay. So, do you guys shed hunt at all? Yep, we do. Yep. Okay. Did you find his sheds? Did you find no. uh, any other awesome sheds that uh, the spring of 2014? We found a couple of good ones in that area, but uh, none of his. So I kind of kind of got him out of my mind. Didn't think we were going to see him again. Uh, like I said, no other pictures of him post-season or anything. So he was yeah. kind of off the radar. It was right. a nice surprise to see him back again. Right. So tell me a little bit about... Um, this deer, you know, 
did he have a, a really noticeable pattern that you could think of? I mean, with only one encounter um, and no trail camera pictures in 2000 until October of 2014, did did you know where this buck was living? I mean, you were aware of him, but was he living on this property? Was he bouncing back and forth between different properties? Well, I had a, an idea after the farmer gave me a call, and uh, he let me know that he'd been he had been seeing a, a tall rack deer out in the alfalfa field for a couple afternoons, and uh, that's when I kind of shifted cameras around there and ended up getting his picture. And I spent some time glassing and didn't come up with much. The farmer kept an eye out for me, and he caught him crossing the road a couple of nights right at last late. So I kind of figured he was betting back in that buck hotel that I was mentioning earlier that was across the road there, the big right. cedar swamp. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did the night that I uh, that I shot him. Um, so basically just the trail camera, the couple pictures I got, plus the farmer's sightings of him crossing the road kind of put the pieces together there. And then uh, he had a big scrape line going up the fence line right to that piece of hardwood where I had my stand. And then he continued with the scrapes and rubs through the hardwood bush there. So that was my plan to intercept him there on that corner. Okay. So, so no other encounters of this buck until, uh, you know, the farmer saw him, right? Did you Mm -hmm. see him at all from the stand? Uh, before the actual day that you shot him? Uh, not myself. My father hunted my stand, uh, I believe it was three nights before I harvested him, and okay. he saw him, He saw him from that tree. Right. Okay. He saw him working so, over a scrape, and then he, he took a detour. He took a different route that night. All right. Well, just to prolong this just a little bit more, the, mm-hmm. in 2014, were there any other deer on that farm that had your attention? Like any other mature bucks that you were that you were kind of saying, oh, if he steps out, he's going to get it. Yeah, there was a big, big mature ten point that year hanging around that farm. Uh, he was wide. He was every bit of twenty inches wide and uh, very tall rack deer as well. Just uh, he was just a real big, big body on him too. Right. Okay. Um, got enough pictures of him. Um, We've seen him a couple of times during the gun hunt and he had disappeared after that. Okay. So this, the buck that we're talking about today is an archery buck. Um, yep. and your, your father-in-law had an encounter with him in, um, 2000 and or that the same year you shot him, but he took yep. a different route. Um, yep. What winds, was there a specific wind that you had to have to hunt this buck or or that stand? Or did you have kind of a stand location for just about any wind to, to hunt this deer? Um, to hunt that corner of the wood that he was using, I needed either a north or a northeast wind there. If I had any bit of west wind, I couldn't hunt that stand the way that the deer traveled through there. Okay. Um, so it was kind of tough to catch a wind that didn't have any west in it at that time. Gotcha. So you were, what direction, from what direction to what direction was this buck coming? He was... Were you hoping he was coming? Yeah. The, the direction I figured he was taking, he was coming from uh, from the east and heading kind of northwest of my stand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he was heading east to the northwest and, um, and you were... Your what was your access route to this stand location from 
from the north or from the south? Uh, my access route was from the south. From the from south. The south. Okay. And I'd swing around kind of southwest just to stay out of uh, out of the sight line of any deer that were bedded nearby. Okay. So was this an, a morning hunt or an evening hunt? This was an evening hunt. Okay. So he, he yeah. was bedding. I, I take it he was bedding somewhere to the east of you. And, exactly. Okay. And then working his way northwest to what I'm assuming was that clover field? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. What, what was the date when you ended up harvesting him? Uh, the date was November 1st. Uh, I can't remember if that was a Saturday. It was just before our gun hunt opened up. Um, I believe it was a Saturday. Okay. And the so, gun hunt opened up on the Monday. All right. So it's an evening hunt. It's Saturday. You know, you, you got your the wind in your face walking to the stand. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the What was the temperature like that day? That day it dropped um, right from the morning. We got quite a bit of snow that morning, which we don't always get at the beginning of November. That was a nice, nice surprise. I was in a stand on my property at home that morning and uh, didn't see much. Saw some turkeys, saw a couple does and decided to just give it a shot for that buck and headed over to that other property for the afternoon, figuring that change in the weather would have him up on his feet a little earlier than normal. And, um, so, so you, you get into the stand, you got some, you know, you got, you had some snow, uh, in, in that morning. Now, why don't you talk to us a little bit of, you know, start us off on this, on this hunt here. Did you see any other deer come by your stand? I mean, did you, did you have a good feeling? Were you seeing a lot of movement before you shot this buck? You know, uh, the morning led me to believe I was going to see a lot of, uh, activity because the morning I saw a good number of does at the other spot and, uh, was hoping that that was going to continue that afternoon. And the winds really picked up. I froze that afternoon. I had the wind just nailing me in the face all, all afternoon. Right. And, I didn't see a single deer the whole afternoon until he showed up at last late, just about 10 minutes before last late. <laughs> wow. Isn't that, yeah. isn't that weird, man? Yeah. That's nuts. That's so the one deer I was waiting for. And that's the only deer I needed to see, I guess. <laughs> exactly. So walk us through from the moment that you laid eyes on him for the first time and knew that you were going, did you immediately know that he was going to come by your stand or was there the opportunity for him to take a different direction when you first when you first saw him? Yeah, he was he was not headed my way at all. He was on a completely different route than I expected him to be on, and I uh, I just caught a glimpse of him behind me crossing the uh, alfalfa field. And if I didn't catch him in that moment, he would have been gone. He would have been out of my sight line. So I just happened to catch him moving behind me just in time to call to him. So what did you do? So I saw him about 150 yards out behind me and um, he was headed straight north. So he was headed up to another piece of bush that's there. So the first thing I did was I grabbed my grunt tube and I gave him a short, short but aggressive grunt and it got his attention. He stopped and he looked up in my direction, thought about it for a minute and he decided he's going to keep on in his direction. So he kept going and I gave him another short blast with the grunt tube and he stopped again. Stared a little bit longer that time, kind of gave it a little bit more thought, and he decided, no, he didn't want nothing to do with it, so he kept walking. And I thought, all right, well, he's either leaving or i got to try something, so I gave him a smart weave, and as soon as he heard that, he whipped his head up, and he just came charging in like a dog coming in for a fight. It was, it was unreal. 
So he he was running towards you. Yep, he came in on a dead trot. He was uh, he wasn't on a full out run. He was basically jogging right to the stand. He oh, came boy. straight to the edge of the bush and he stopped there. I couldn't see him, and everything just went dead silent. And I was just sitting there wondering, okay, what's his next move going to be? And he stepped into the bush lot and started walking in a straight line right for my tree, uh, just on the inside edge of the bush lot. And about 15, 20 yards out, he stopped and he didn't see any deer in there. So he was wondering where they went. He popped his head back out and had a look in the field. So I had to turn myself around in the stand and untangle my arm that got hung up in my uh, tether for my harness. Right. Expecting a shot to be behind me in the field. And then he changed his mind. He came back into the bush lot. So again, I had to spin around in the stand and get my arm over my tether. And he kept coming straight line right from my tree. And at that point. So one second here, as you're, as he's making all these moves into in and out of the, uh, the timber, you know, you're you're trying to get back and forth, going around the tree, turning around (laughs) in the stand. What was going through your head? Uh, at first, uh, the first thought when I thought he was going behind me, I had a perfect shooting lane where he was headed. So I thought this is beautiful. It's going to work out perfect. He's going to step out at 15 yards. I'm going to double lung him. This is a done deal. And then he changed his mind and came back into the bush lot and headed right for basically it was a, just a briar patch to the right of my stand where I wasn't expecting any deer to walk. And that's where he was headed right for that. Okay. And, um, good thing was he, walked right through it and came pretty much right underneath my stand. Uh, by that time I was at full draw already and picking the spot where I was going to aim for it. And I was aiming for the top of his lungs, but he just got a little too close. He got right under the stand. I ended up uh, getting him in the spine. And he dropped right there. I just put another arrow in him to finish it. Well, I tell you what, sometimes those, uh, spine shots, you know, maybe it makes you feel bad for a little bit, but there's no track mm-hmm. job. And, yeah. uh, he's, he's done right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no so, so when you let that arrow go and he dropped straight down, mm-hmm. did it take you a little while to compose yourself to grab another arrow or was it almost like it was, an instant? It was re- instinctual. An instinctual yeah. to grab another arrow and finish him off. Yeah. Didn't even, didn't even think about it is, uh, almost machine-like. The, the deer dropped. It's the first deer I ever spined, but right. he dropped, and I just right away reached for another arrow, put it in, and uh, and that was that. And it was... Uh, I noticed when he was in the field, I knew which bucket it was, so it wasn't a surprise when I saw yeah. him on the ground. It was... I just couldn't believe that it was him, but... Man, that's... And after you put that second arrow in him, and you realized it was the buck from last year. And I mean, you knew it was him anyway, but mm. what, you know, after, you know, this deer, this buck is dead. What was going through your head at that point? <laughs> Who do I call first? <laughs> 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 yeah. I had to stop shaking long enough to just, uh, hit a couple contacts on my phone to start spreading the news. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. All call? the deer there. Uh, my first call, uh, I believe the first call was my father, which uh, I've hunted with my father since I was a kid. He taught me uh, taught me everything that I know about the woods, and 
him and my grandfather, they took me out as a little kid. So it was, uh, he was my first call. Usually always is him and my wife. They're the first ones that I call. She's another nice. hunting buddy of mine. So <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So you got down on your, out of your stand and, um, is this the biggest buck you've ever killed with a bow? No, no. He's no. my second biggest with the bow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, I'm looking at the picture right now and he's got mm-hmm. great mass all the way up. Mm-hmm. Uh, for every time what did he end up scoring or did you score him yeah i did score him i believe his uh his growth score i believe was right at 138 okay yeah nice. and i can't remember exactly the net it wasn't far off though he's he's and pretty symmetrical nets don't matter man uh, yeah exactly they're proficient I, I, i'm telling <laughs> you yeah exactly I'm, I'm looking at this buck right now and you you put the number one thirty eight out there. This mm-hmm. buck doesn't. I mean, this is a big eight pointer, and so that just tells you right now how hard it is for an eight pointer to get a good score. I mean, the, yeah. this buck looks gigantic. Yeah, and and it's only one hundred thirty eight inches. So yeah, hey, his inside spread didn't didn't do much for him, but he's a beautiful deer. He made a beautiful mountain. He's in my living room right now. He's a, a gorgeous deer. Yeah, he looks beautiful. Um, so, you, you know, you, you got him. Um, did do you mount all your deer or all the all the bucks that you shoot, or is it no? Uh, no, I I kind of try to try to. I don't know. I don't have a number. I don't want to say oh, I won't mount nothing under this this amount of inches or nothing. I don't want to sound like that. Um, yeah. Kind of after I after I bring them home, I kind of think about it. My last. My last year with the muzzleloader was the worst one that I was on the fence about, and I think I still regret giving the cape to a friend of mine. <laughs> uh, decided not to mount that guy. And uh, my archery deer, as long as they're a decent deer, I, I think I'm always going to get them mounted. My wife doesn't mind the mounts, which I'm lucky for that. <laughs> yeah, you should be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started sneaking them all up into the main floor living room one at a time. Now I got the whole herd in there. So (laughs) that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, man, I tell you what, uh, congratulations on, uh, on this buck. Uh, one hell of a story, beautiful deer. And, uh, you know, I tell you what, it's stories like this that get me fired up for the next three weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so how, what's the, I guess I want to change the, uh, the conversation here a second. Mm -hmm. You're, you're a bow hunter and in Ontario is a gun season, a rifle season, or is it shotgun? Uh, further North from where I am, they, they have the rifle season, uh, where we are, it's, they call it a controlled hunt. They, it's by a draw. You have to apply okay. for it and they allow a certain number of hunters and you're allowed to use a slug gun, shotgun, or muzzleloader. And our group, we all shoot muzzleloaders. So if we do the hunt, we don't do them every year, but if we do it, it's all with muzzleloaders and we have a good time. Oh, nice. Perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got that to look forward to. And, uh, is the rut, what are the, what's the rut up North? I know how the further South you get, like I'm in Iowa and mm-hmm. this year, I think, uh, I, I always think it's the second week of November, which is the mm-hmm. hottest, you know, like yeah. the seventh through the 11th this year. My uncle, he lives down in Kansas and he says it's typically that the third week of Mm -hmm. november that is the uh that's the rut what's the what's the rut up there is it earlier or about the same it's i'd say it's a little earlier um like right now 
I just went for a walk on a couple of properties yesterday and things just changed overnight. The scrapes popped up everywhere and I found a few spots where there's running tracks. So the chasing's starting over here now. So we're getting into, it looks like pre-rut pretty good now uh, for the next week or so. Um, the peak really is around the, the first week of November, kind of the, the later end of the first week of November, you really start seeing bucks out everywhere. And by about the fifteenth, they're starting to lock up, and you don't you don't see them as much. They're kind of locked down with those. So I'd say I'd say peak is around the first week, just getting into the second week in November. I guess would okay. be peak around here. Well, hey man, why don't you let's make a deal? You kill that mm-hmm. ten pointer, and then you come <laughs> back on this show and we do another uh, hunter profile. That sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, thank you very much for your time. And uh, good luck. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. First off, I want to say thank you very much to Anthony for coming on the show. I apologize again, man, for having to cancel last minute the previous night, but we got it done. Thank you for, for being flexible. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story. Now, like I said, man, go kill that 10 pointer, come back on the show and uh, share that story with us as well. Uh, huge shout out to the two sponsors of the podcast, Exodus Trail Cameras and DeerLab.com. Uh, I'm telling you, go check these things out. Uh, I'm addicted to, you know, especially DeerLab. Uh, go to DeerLab.com backslash nine fingers. Uh, and DeerLab has decided to give away a 30 day free trial period to all of the Nine Finger Chronicles listeners. Um, go check it out. Thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening, for tuning in. Uh, Honestly, I can't thank you enough. And uh, yeah, there's that. If you guys haven't already, go to iTunes and leave a review. If you've already left a review, thank you very much. If there is a company you want to see on this podcast uh, for, uh, you know, a gear podcast, Go to that company's Facebook page, tell them about this podcast, and tell them, hey, we want you on this podcast, and, uh, to, you know, give them, you know, tag this podcast, say, hey, I want you to come on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and talk about your company. It's free publicity for, for them, so uh, they have nothing to lose except, and everything to gain in that in that scenario. So uh, go let them know. If you guys don't follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, do that as well. I'm going to be sharing a lot of my story through this upcoming rut vacation on social media. And, uh, you know, other than that, it's that time where we are starting to take our vacation. We're starting to spend a lot of time in the timber. And, you know, we've had two things real quick. One, don't wear a metal wedding ring while you're climbing up and down in your tree stands. Number one, it makes noise. Number two, it'll rip your damn finger off your hand. I just had a guy send me send me a picture today of basically, it looked like a banana peel hanging off of a bone. It, it was gross. I showed my, my, <laughs> my wife a picture. She almost gagged. And last but not least, it's not rocket science, gentlemen and ladies. Wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of your week.